What next for the families no longer able to get food parcels from the food bank run by Dave Butterbean Latelli? For more on that story and everything else worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's episode is called The Last Flight of the Dragonfly. It's by Stuff senior writer Mike White, who joins me now. Hi, Mike. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm good. So The Last Flight of the Dragonfly, we're talking an aeroplane here, not an insect. Uh, Set this up for us. Uh, What happened? Yeah, it definitely is a plane. So this was a scenic flight taken over 60 years ago in February 1962 from Christchurch to Milford Sound. And this was in the very, very early days of tourist sightseeing flights in New Zealand, especially ones that crossed the Southern Alps. And it was so early that this plane was a, uh, a biplane from 1936, a de Havilland Dragonfly. So the flight took off with a very experienced pilot, Brian Chadwick, and four passengers from Australia, two of whom were on their honeymoon. And the flight to Milford should have taken about two hours, 45 minutes, but it never arrived. The weather wasn't good, but the plane was sighted and heard on numerous times as it traveled south, but it's hard to know which of these reports are reliable. But when it hadn't arrived at Milford Sound for lunch, it was reported missing, and the country's largest ever aerial search was launched, and that lasted for a week. But the dragonfly had disappeared. And since then, as we're about to hear, there have been ongoing searches for the dragonfly. It's become something of a white whale for a few people. Yeah, absolutely. For 61 years, people have searched searched for the dragonfly, and it's probably the country's most famous disappeared aircraft. One of those people who have been fascinated by it is Reverend Richard Waugh. Um, He's the country's foremost aviation historian. He wrote a book about the dragonfly's disappearance. His father knew the pilot, Brian Chadwick, very well and searched for his friend when he was flying for years afterwards. And Richard Waugh has sort of picked up the, the, the mission and the mantle from his father and tried to keep the issue alive. So recently he organised a gathering in Christchurch where the three main theories about what happened to the dragonfly were aired and discussed. And these are theories of, uh, of guys called Bobby Reeve, Gavin Grimmer and Lou Bone, and we'll hear about them. But they've all spent decades trying to solve the riddle of the dragonfly's location and have poured over maps and every available detail and conducted many searches themselves. Somewhat ironically, though, the biggest search for the dragonfly is about to take place on February 24th on the West Coast when police are launching Operation Dragonfly. It's a search and rescue operation looking for the plane with over 100 searchers. The irony is it's in a location that none of the experts think the plane is in, but the police are acting on information that they've got. An old aircraft harness was found by white baiters and they believe maybe it was washed down from the dragonfly uh, from the mountains where it had crashed. However, Richard Waugh, Bobby Reeve, Lou Bone and Gavin Grimmer all wish that the effort was being put somewhere else because they don't believe that's where the plane is. Why do you think we're fascinated with things like this? Plane crashes, missing planes in the way that we are? Yeah, look, they're just mysteries and 
And I'm sure that at times all those who have searched for the dragonfly wish they'd never heard about it. Richard Waugh calls it dragonfly fever and says they've all caught it. Um, it's not as if there's gold on board that's enticing them to hunt for it. It's, it's just their desire to solve the mystery and obviously help recover the bodies of the five people who were on board when the dragonfly disappeared that day. All right, I think that'll do. Thanks, Mike. Now, here is Mike reading his story, The Last Flight of the Dragonfly. Brian Chadwick finished his checks on the dark blue biplane, tilted back his pilot's cap, and squinted towards the southern Alps. Clouds smothered the peaks, and a southerly wind chilled him as he walked to the airport's control centre to check the forecast and file his flight plan. It was 8.30am on Monday, February 12th, 1962, and summer was struggling to break through in Christchurch, where 47-year-old Chadwick ran an air charter service taking tourists to the South Island's glaciers in Milford Sound. Two days before, he'd had to cancel a trip to Milford because of the weather, and today didn't look much better. But Chadwick figured if he could make his way down the east coast and across to Queenstown, he could sneak through to Milford where the sun was shining. Around 9.30am, Chadwick entered the passenger terminal at Harewood Airport and greeted his passengers. Lewis Rowan, 25, a cabinet maker from Australia, had been booked on the cancelled flight from two days earlier, but had rescheduled, trusting the weather would improve. His holiday in New Zealand had been a mix. The scenery was great, but, he'd informed his stepfather a fortnight earlier in a letter, the beer over here is the worst I've ever tasted. Daryl Shields, 33, also from Australia, had reason to be wary of flying. His brother died in a plane crash in England during World War II. But the remaining passengers, Valerie Saville, 22, and Elwyn Saville, 20, were still celebrating after marrying in Valerie's hometown, Gisborne, two months earlier. The sightseeing flight to Milford was part of an extended honeymoon. The sightseeing flight to Milford was part of an extended honeymoon. The couple were due to sail back to their new home in Sydney a couple of weeks later. All had paid £25 for the return trip, which was expected to take two hours 45 minutes each way. Brian Chadwick, the man flying them to Milford, was an experienced pilot having clocked up 6,000 hours behind the controls. Originally from England, Chadwick served with the Royal Air Force in World War II before immigrating to New Zealand. Once here, he'd pioneered scenic flights to the glaciers and fjords with his company Air Charter. He'd flown the Christchurch Milford Sound route 130 times, garnering a reputation as someone whose aerial bravado matched his entrepreneurialism. The passengers looked outside to the 1936 de Havilland Dragonfly sitting on the tarmac. Chadwick noted it wasn't the newest plane, but joked it would go slowly enough they'd get all the photos they wanted. They took their seats on board, Chadwick pointed out the blankets and barley sugars, and at 9.52am, the wooden propellers of the Dragonfly ZK-AFB kicked into life, and the plane taxied out and took to the sky. In Milford Sound, the officer in charge of flights, Mike Kerr, had Chadwick scheduled to arrive at 12.37pm. He knew Chadwick well and would usually give him some latitude on his due time, depending on the weather. But shortly after 1pm, when Chadwick still hadn't landed, Kerr alerted Christchurch's control centre that the plane was overdue. 
An hour later, a search and rescue operation was mobilised. And over the next week, in what became New Zealand's largest aerial search, 34 aircraft flew 167 sorties for more than 400 hours. But the dragonfly had vanished. Chadwick's normal route was to skip over the Alps, head down the west coast past the glaciers, and thrill passengers with the drama of flying up Milford Sound. But on this day, even before he took off, he realised the weather would probably stop him getting over the mountains, and he'd have to track south towards Queenstown before heading to Milford Sound. After taking off, Chadwick made no radio contact. However, numerous people saw or heard what they believed was the dragonfly as it made its way south. A series of reports makes a credible case that Chadwick flew past Fairley and modern-day Twizel, then turned right up Lake Ohau and carried on up the Hopkins Valley at its head, where it was seen by two separate deer colours. One said the plane then turned left into the Huxley Valley, which led to a low pass in the mountains Chadwick was aware of that would have given him access to Haast and the west coast. This is where Bobby Reeve is adamant the plane crashed. In 2008, Reeve spied a copy of a book about the Dragonfly mystery and recognised Chadwick from when he sold the pilot a yacht 50 years previously. Thinking the book was too expensive, Reeve left it, but his family insisted he'd regret not buying it. So I went back, remembers Reeve, and I paid $70, which I should never have done, because about 13 years of my life have gone into this, all because of that book. Since then, Reeve, his wife Lindley, and sons Adam and Simon from Kaipoi have made seven expeditions into the valleys around Lake Ohau, often searching for six weeks. In 2015, they found a woman's boot high in the Huxley Valley, which they believe may have come from Valerie Saville, given it was in an area so remote nobody else would have been there. Reeve says the Huxley Valley's terrain is too steep for the dragonfly to have climbed out and over a pass in that weather. The only way out is back, and he didn't come back out, Reeve says, noting the deer colours who saw a plane would have heard it returning. I think he's flown into the cloud and got lost, and he's hit the mountain. Reeve concludes with the blunt certainty of someone convinced he's found the truth. Despite doubts about the shoe being the right age or size, and despite witness accounts of the plane in the Wanaka area, Reeve, 81, is adamant they're close to discovering the dragonfly. The family, who are making a documentary of their search, are returning to the Huxley River in late February 2023 to continue searching. Will we find it? Reeve says. We've probably got a better chance than anybody has. But not everyone agrees. While nearly everybody applauds the Reeves' efforts and determination, some people believe they've become fixated with the Huxley area at the expense of plausible evidence pointing to the plane being elsewhere. Lou Bone concurs with Bobby Reeves' theory that Chadwick flew up the Huxley River, but that's where any agreement abruptly ends. While Reeves says the plane crashed here in the bush or snow, Bone points to a report from over the ridgeline in the Dingleburn, which leads down to Lake Hawea, where farmer James Gillespie heard a twin-engine plane flying south after 11am. Then, at around 11.30am, four people at Mount Aspiring Station, near Wanaka, heard a plane in the clouds above. 
Supporting Bones' theory are reports from hunters who saw objects or disturbed trees in the Rainbow Valley near Mount Aspiring soon after, and an account from legendary helicopter pilot Alan Duncan, who saw a plane's wing there in 1972 as the downwash from his rotors parted the bush. Paul Powell, who led Otago's search and rescue team at the time, and searched for the dragonfly for many years afterwards, also believed it ended up in this area. He eventually succeeded in having a nearby mountain named Dragonfly Peak. After 30 years of fascination and frustration, trying to solve the dragonfly riddle, Lou Bone says he has little interest in unprovable theories and talk fests anymore. Prayers are good, he says, but I'm more interested in action. To that end, he's published a paper outlining his evidence and is using it to try to get funding for a search in the Rainbow Valley. He approached the de Havilland Company, a US entrepreneur with interests in Wanaka, an Australian billionaire, New Zealand companies and prominent individuals. To date, no success, he says ruefully. But Bone isn't giving up and stresses the urgency of beginning a search before snowfall overwhelms summer this year. Everyone's dying off, he says. People's memories are dying off, relatives of the victims are no longer young. Bone says many people have overthought and overcomplicated the events of February 12, 1962. Instead, he relies on 20 witnesses whose reports create a logical trail all the way from Christchurch to Mount Aspiring and says common sense makes the answer to the dragonfly mystery obvious. I'm 98% sure there's aircraft debris lying on the eastern slopes of the Rainbow Valley, he says. I could be wrong, could be on the west coast but there's only one way to find out. Mark, if we look at News Hub, the potential of that closing its entire operation in June, the cuts at TVNZ, what's at risk here? Well, look, we get into this whole thing, you know, democracy is at risk, but News Hub, from their first days, always tried to do things a little bit differently and may have been considered a little bit more sort of kick-ass and less respectful to the politicians. But you need that. I mean, our job is not to be sort of cheerleaders for whoever. It should be to sort of to question and, uh, and to keep people informed. If you don't have a news media sort of calling people out, it's the wild west. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. Gavin Grimmer, the third of the main dragonfly searchers, used to think its wreck was on the west coast, somewhere up the Jacobs River, south of Fox Glacier. But he now admits he was wrong and concedes the plane flew over Aspiring National Park where Bone believes it went down. However, Grimmer thinks it went even further south and got close to Milford Sound before crashing. He revealed his new theory at a major gathering about the dragonfly's disappearance in Christchurch on Sunday, February 12th, telling an audience of 100 people the plane was likely in the Capels Valley, near Glenorchy, or the Kaipor Valley, north of Milford Sound's entrance. Grimmer, 69, from Hawke's Bay, began searching for the dragonfly in 2003, or... 2005? I've lost track, he says. The old memory's getting a bit knackered. It's like looking for a needle in the haystack, but the problem is you've got to work out where the haystack is first. Eventually I think we'll get there, but it's a long, slow process. You've got to spend time and eliminate one thing after another. As for Reeve and Bone with their differing theories, basically I wish them well, Grimmer says. 
At least they've got off the couch and are doing something. I don't care who finds it, just as long as the blinking thing's found. Ironically, less than a fortnight after the dragonfly gathering that aired the three main theories about where the plane could be, a huge search for it will take place, but not where any of the three groups think it is. Operation Dragonfly, organised by police, will scour an area in South Westland near the Jacobs River, following the discovery by whitebaiters of what appears to be an aircraft harness and a piece of carpet, believed to have been washed down from the mountains. While an overseas expert suggested the harness could come from a dragonfly plane, others are less sure. Among them is Reverend Richard War, New Zealand's foremost aviation historian, whose book on the dragonfly mystery, Lost, Without Trace, galvanised interest in the plane's disappearance. War's father, Brian, was a good friend of Chadwick and a fellow pilot and searched for the crash site for many years. Brian War always believed the most likely scenario was that Chadwick never made it across the Alps, but flew down through the Mackenzie country as Bone and Reeve believe. Richard War says all but one of his father's flying contemporaries shared the same view. To that end, his frustrated police will pour enormous resources into searching on the west coast, based on a seat harness he says is clearly not from the dragonfly, something he's told police. I don't think the police have listened at all, he says. Police insist they've worked closely with subject matter experts, but haven't consulted any of those who've searched for the dragonfly, says a mystified war. I wish the New Zealand police would be a little bit more attentive to people who've been working for years and interviewing people and following leads. Police remain tight-lipped about their operation, despite having done preliminary reconnaissance last year, and won't say exactly where the search is, or on what scale. However, Stuff understands more than 100 people will be involved, accompanied by a television film crew. The prospect of an extensive search far from where most people think the dragonfly ended up is dispiriting for Lubone. I just wish they'd divert that 100-man effort into the Rainbow Valley, he says. If they did, they'd find something. But Mark Chadwick, a grandson of the Dragonfly's pilot, is fully supportive of the police effort and has been kept informed of their plans. His father, Tony, one of Brian Chadwick's two sons, was always sceptical of the private searches and questioned their motivation. Mark Chadwick says his family prefer to leave any investigation to professionals. It's a mystery that's waiting to be solved, isn't it, he says. We always thought that one day there would be hunters or trampers who'd just stumble over it, and I think that's inevitable at some point. But just when is a question John Rowan has been asking for years. The brother of victim Lewis Rowan, John was 15 when the dragonfly disappeared. He was on his way home from school when a neighbour came out and asked him if he knew about the crash. By the time he got home, police and press were already there. More than 40 years later, he visited the South Island, passed through the mountains that swallowed his brother and wrote, To be lost in this country is to be lost forever. John Rowan fully supports and is incredibly grateful to those who have spent years searching for Lewis. He's had considerable contact with Gavin Grimmer, Bobby Reeve and Richard War, 
and he and the family flew from Australia to attend the Christchurch event organised by war, which marked the 61st anniversary of the tragedy and brought together most of those who've researched the dragonfly's disappearance. Rowan says Lewis's death knocked his mother badly. Not knowing what happened and where he was weighed very heavily on her, he says. Our family would like to put this to rest, and if there are any remains of Lewis, to bring them home and put them in the family grave where mum and dad are, and it will put an end to this ongoing mystery. In the wake of the dragonfly's disappearance, questions began to be asked about Brian Chadwick and whether he should have been flying to Milford Sound that day. It emerged the plane was overloaded, though Richard Waugh points out the extra weight and fuel would have burnt off in the first hour. Chadwick's maintenance records for the plane had been improperly altered, and in many people's minds, the weather was marginal. Money was tight as Chadwick established his new tourist business, and the fact he'd cancelled a trip two days before hadn't helped that. When Bobby Reeve asked a pilot what might have caused Chadwick to fly through cloud in the mountains that day, the pilot replied, his bank manager. But Richard War says a more fundamental problem was that the Dragonfly simply wasn't an appropriate plane for alpine trips. Chadwick normally used another, better-suited aircraft, but it was out of action, so the backup Dragonfly was brought into service. Its carburetors were known to ice up in cloud, causing the engines to stall, and if it lost one engine, it struggled to maintain altitude. He was a pretty darn good pilot, says War, experienced in that area, but he took risks. He lived on the edge, and the aircraft was a 1930s vintage. War says the Christchurch gathering was probably the last realistic chance to get people together with living memories of the crash and hopefully solve what happened to the dragonfly. At the very least, it allowed differing theories to be canvassed and critiqued. As Bobby Reeves says, prove us wrong, prove us wrong, we don't mind. War remains confident the plane can still be found. There will be engines, mountings, tyres that will have easily survived six decades. But the key to the riddle is to launch searches, he says. The reality is we're all talking about theories because until the wreckage is found, who knows? That was The Last Flight of the Dragonfly on The Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Mike White and produced by Jen Black and me, Michael Wright. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you're listening via the Stuff website, you can hear this story and many more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual podcast apps. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support.